We've started a, a new series um, uh, on the one another uh, phrases in the New Testament. We're just covering a few. We were asked um, to choose one, uh, the eldership, and uh, I chose uh, forgive one another. And I actually thought that would be easy since I've had plenty of experience. It's actually been harder than I imagined. Um, and it's close to the bone. Some of the darkest days, weeks, months, and even years uh, have been have involved struggling to forgive others. So uh, I woke up this morning and sat in my lounge for a little while and uh, let my mind range over a lot of those moments of uh, hurt and struggle um, and remembering the people involved. Uh, so it's this is um, some bread fresh out of the oven <laughs> in terms of my own heart. Um, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea. That's what C.S. Lewis observed, until they have something to forgive. Let me read a story that might help us um, just get on the same page, if you like. Uh, this is a story out of a book called Father Make Us One by Floyd McClung. Shortly before the Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968, and that was the Russia as a communist country, a church just outside Prague, or Prague experienced a terrible schism, division, Five elders fought it out, but none of them won. Consequently, the flock scattered in several directions. Realising the devastating effect of their behaviour, the elders became ashamed of their actions, but were too proud to reach out to one another. After some time of praying things through, one of the elders took the initiative, went to the others and admitted his wrong. A spirit of contrition moved through the various factions in the church, and eventually unity and fellowship were restored. Several weeks after this, Russian tanks rolled into the country. Religious and cultural freedom ended abruptly as the new government cracked down hard. Soon, all five elders were arrested. The authorities decided to make them a public example of the consequences of being too vocal about religious matters. A high-ranking officer of the secret police was to interrogate them. Confident that he could get them to incriminate each other, he separated them and began to try to undermine their trust in one another. To his amazement, it did not work. Every time he tried to use half-truths and innuendos from the past to divide them, each would simply reply, I don't believe my brother would say that about me. But even if he did, I forgive him. Eventually, the officer became so frustrated with this unusual response that he called all five of the men into his office and demanded to know why they loved each other so much. It wasn't long before he was on his knees asking God to fill him with the same love. So let's... Let's think about what it means to forgive one another. It's commonly understood that forgiving someone is for your benefit, not theirs. The process of forgiveness, the release of thoughts 
and feelings that have kept you tied to the past can be done without the other person's participation. Forgiveness allows you to go to let go of the regrets or resentments that eat up your valuable energy. Well, it's often true. Uh, that's a quote, actually. It's often true that feelings of bitterness, resentment, and grudges may be boiling away in our hearts towards a person who has no idea what they've done. And to deal with that, in a sense, is for you. But if that's all forgiveness about, that's got nothing to do with the forgiveness that we've found in Christ. If it's just about you and your need to get rid of this pain, there's a truth in that but it falls short of the reality. Forgiveness has its as its goal, where possible, the restoration of relationship. And I say where possible because it's not always possible to have full restoration. But we can still be freed in our hearts from the desire for revenge or from the feelings of anger and bitterness. So what is forgiveness? I heard a, I turned on a movie the other night and the first line of the movie was this. Forgiveness is a decision we make to release a person from the feelings of anger you have toward them. I'll say it again. It's a very simple definition. Forgiveness is a decision we make to release a person from the feelings of anger you have towards them. Now I want to say that it is more than a decision. It's a power. It's a dynamic gift of God for anyone to forgive as God forgives. But it does involve a decision of our moral will. It does. And that's where the battle, the struggle is. But when we say yes, we'll see later on this message, there is a power that comes. Despite all that we might feel, there is a power that can set the heart free towards that person who has done you wrong. Sometimes our feelings of anger, resentment, bitterness can be so suppressed that we hardly, we're hardly aware of them. Unforgiveness can be hidden in our hearts for decades, sometimes doing much damage with our health and with our, with our mental health even. But we may not even feel it. Our hearts may feel a coldness or a coolness towards someone who was once a friend. We may feel we've forgiven them, but we don't have any desire to have any contact. We may not feel there's any area of unforgiveness in our hearts, but deep down we may be suppressing deep-seated feelings of anger and hurt towards people who have caused us grief and pain. We can find it we may find it hard to say a kind word about someone. Or even worse, we may find it easy to repeat the failures of those people who have hurt us. Hebrews twelve, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. We as a fellowship make much of the grace of God. 
and so we should. But have we always shown that grace to those who have hurt us, who have spoken against us, who have caused us anguish? Have we shown that grace? It's not only the action done against us that may have caused us so much pain, it's actually also our reaction to what has been done. We may need to repent of our fallen reaction. Victims can become perpetrators. If we've been bullied, we can find ourselves bullying others. Sin begat sin. The cycle of sin needs to be broken or it continues to do damage well after the first offence. It's difficult to see clearly the speck in my brother's eye when there's a a log hanging out of my own eye. When we hold grudges, we cannot possibly see the other person clearly. And we, we fail to see anything redeemable because we're looking at them through the obstruction that has developed in us our fallen reaction to their failure. Now, it's good to know the scriptures assume the need to forgive one another and not just forgive those nasty people out there in the world who get give us such strife, but actually forgive one another in the body of Christ. Be kind to one another, Paul writes to the Ephesians, tender-hearted. Isn't that a... A lovely phrase, tender, not hard, just tender-hearted, forgiving one another. There's certain people in my life that I look back on. Some were leaders who, who were so tender-hearted in their care for others. I don't see that always in myself, but there's people out there who have modelled the love of Christ in ways that I envy. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And Colossians, told to bear with one another, bear with one another and forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So this exhortation to forgive assumes there'll be times when, as believers, we sometimes fail to love one another as we've been commanded. There'll be many occasions where there'll be a need to forgive each other. So this is, this is real, isn't it? Um, the gospel deals with reality. It doesn't deal with illusions that the church is perfect, that all believers get on perfectly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed that when we love an idea of what each other is like, then we're living with an illusion. We're not loving the person as they are, flaws and all. Sometimes you hear someone say, oh, that person's really lovely. And, or, some, or oh, not sure about that person. <laughs> now, the reality is that lovely person is not lovely all the time, even as I've described people who I looked up to. None of us is without flaws. When we are easily disappointed and critical of others, even disillusioned with the church, then it may be that we've been loving our idea 
of what we think others should be like and not the reality. Real love doesn't deal with illusions. It sees things as they really are. We have these great exhortations, uh, imperatives from 1 Peter. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, one love one another earnestly, deeply from a pure heart. Love must be genuine. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So is there a multitude of sins in the church? At times, yes. <laughs> Hopefully not sins that are so serious and out there that, that, it, um, that it just dishonours the name of Christ. But there are little foxes in the field that run around and do a lot of damage. And we need a love that covers a multitude of sins. And this sin-covering love is above all. That means the, the love that doesn't keep a, a record of wrongs. That kind of love, God's love, is right there at the top in terms of how we're to love each other. Uh, in Colossians, we heard, uh, above all these things, above all these other things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this love that forgives a multitude of sins is right there up the top. If we don't walk in that kind of love, if we don't express that kind of love towards each other, then do we really understand the love of God? How does love cover a multitude of sins? Well, we know the atonement, God's great action of love, has already done that. It's a great revelation to realise that we need never see another sin except as they're nailed on that cross. This is the love of God that he no longer counts our sin against us because he counted our sin against his son. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. The only place God has made all our sin public is in that cross. It's not that sin is made light of by God or overlooked. To the contrary, God sees the horrible, the terrifying consequences of our sin. But by judging our sin in his Son... He covers us with his love and grace. If we know such grace towards us, then how can we stand in critical judgment over against our brother? As someone has written, love does not make light of sin, but in the surprise of God's forgiving grace, it can bring the comfort of total forgiveness to the darkest soul. Sometimes you might have someone sharing some deep, dark sin. And as long as it hasn't got legal ramifications, you have every freedom to bring to them the incredible news of the forgiveness of God in the cross. No matter how dark it is. And in doing that, you're not making light of sin. You're showing the incredible, amazing grace of God. A lot of forgiveness goes on and we'll go on without needing to come out into the open. 
Not all sin has to be called out to be forgiven. Otherwise, we'd be spending all our days confronting one another, wouldn't we? We need Christ's wisdom as parents and as husbands and wives to know when to point out a fault and when to say nothing. Just cover it. And not only when to speak, but how to speak. Forgiveness is in the body of Christ. It's like the oil that lubricates an engine. Anyone run out of oil and seen what happens to the engine? It's a very quick way to lose value in a car. Without that oil, the engine overheats and it seizes up. Without forgiveness, the friction between one another would soon disable the body of Christ. Disable a marriage, disable a family. Now I want to say this, where sin and evil has brought much damage to the lives of others, it is right to be angry about what has happened. It is right to call, not for revengement, but for avengement. It's right to cry out to God for justice in the face of great evil. And there's plenty of that crying out in the Bible. Our problem is, though, our cry for justice sometimes is just us. Just us. And that's not what God is on about. There are times when it's perfectly appropriate for people to experience the consequences of their actions. And this need not be an expression of vengeful retaliation. If there were no earthly punishments, evil would go unchecked. But the danger in all this is that we fail to realise that there's a very thin wafer between those who think they would never commit an atrocity and those who have. It's easy to take the position of higher moral ground. I would never do that. James has reminded us that if we break one law, we've broken the whole law. Judgment without mercy won't get us anywhere. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Even those who have authority to bring consequences within our society need to be people of mercy. Otherwise they are acting as though they have no sin, no wrong themselves. We're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Now how has God forgiven us? That's all right, that's all covered. How has God forgiven us? Uh, While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, with weapons in our hands, Christ died for us. He loved us before we ever loved him. He didn't die for the worthy, but for the unworthy. We did not deserve God's forgiveness, and yet he forgave us. We do not forgive someone because they deserve to be forgiven. Yeah, yeah, we could say this. Oh, look, I forgive you, but you don't deserve it. <laughs> that wouldn't be right, would it? But we don't forgive because they deserved forgiveness, but because God forgave us when we were yet sinners. Forgiveness is not something earned, it's an action of grace. Grace. 
someone has defined forgiveness as love given before another has either given it, earned it, accepted it, or even understood it. I'll say that again. Forgiveness is love given before another has either given it, earned it, accepted it, or even understood it. I had a, I had a, a bitter anger against a fellow leader years ago, and I could not get on top of it. And I, in my heart, I didn't want to see him, which is wishing him dead. That's murder in your heart. And it went on for a long time, and I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord. But it just would not shift. And then we had an accident, my family and I, that, that, uh, in which we could have all been killed. And when we came back to church after that accident... He came up and he hugged me and my heart melted and I forgave him. But can you see that my forgiveness was waiting for him to love me as a brother? Now that was, God was merciful, wasn't he? But can you see that if that hadn't have happened... I would have still been struggling. God God knows how helpless we are sometimes. I remember having a dream with a family member, a deep estrangement, and I prayed and prayed, and the Lord gave me a dream, and in my dream I saw this family member across the table from me. And at that point we hadn't seen each other for months. And I slowly reached out my hands across the table and she grabbed my hands and I woke up free. We don't have to, we do not have to work ourselves up to forgiveness. We just need to get to the place where we're crying out to God to fill us with his forgiveness, his love for this person. After that dream, I was able to reconnect. And that love there was there. Now, it's been tested many times since, but I have never gone back to that place of withdrawing and cutting them off. When we see the extent of God's mercy to us, we cannot but show mercy to others. You know, the one who demands their pound of flesh has shut themselves off from the revelation of the ocean of God's mercy. When we see how big God's mercy is for us, we will not turn the tap off for others. If God's forgiveness for us seems a small thing, if it doesn't thrill us and grip us, then we will see no need to show mercy to those who owe us big time and are unable to pay. When there's a debt involved, you know, suddenly forgiveness becomes much harder. One thing to overlook a fault, but to carry the tab is another. In the parable of that unforgiving servant, God cancels that unpayable huge debt. That's what we owed, and he bore the cost. 
that servant only had a little debt to bear, didn't he? To cancel. It still cost him. It would have cost him, but no way would he. He wanted his pound of flesh. Forgiveness may involve absorbing something of the cost of a person's sin. I remember reading a story of an Indian husband who had been unfaithful and he did not really see the horror of his sin until he saw the pain, the cost in her broken heart, even as she freely forgave him. As he saw it in her face, he saw her her absorbing the cost of his sin. And that's what broke his own heart, his pride, and sought forgiveness. We incurred an unpayable debt before God and he's borne the cost fully and freely. That's how God has forgiven us, fully and freely. Withholding God's forgiveness. Withholding forgiveness contradicts God's mercy towards us. You know, the one who's been forgiven much loves much and he forgives much. It's not always easy. I've shared that you can tell that with me. Um, Particularly if the wound is from someone close, from someone who you've loved. Particularly if the sin causes ongoing pain and loss. The power to forgive may not come quickly. It may be a process, one step along a difficult and painful journey. It may need reaffirming again and again, particularly when old memories revisit. But in the end, to be unforgiving is itself disobedience against the Father's good command. To hurt is not to sin. To go on hurting year after year, forever, is sin. John Donne, not the poet, in his book on forgiveness writes, love does not wait for the other person to make the first move. Love does not wait for the other person to take the blame and reach out first. It's pointless saying that the other person is 95% in the wrong. Therefore, it's up to them to apologise. You are 100% responsible for your 5% and you must deal with it no matter what the cost. That's the way of love. That's the way of true forgiveness. That's the way of the cross. That's a very strong word, isn't it? There are circumstances of abuse and violence where such counsel, what I've just said, may not be possible or wise or even right. However, we should not let these exceptions to this counsel cover every other time where God clearly wants us to take the initiative. To forgive, to forgive is an act of faith. We have no power to forgive as God forgives unless we trust him to give us that power. Do you remember the story of the man with the withered hand? And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. How can I, Lord? The very act of faith, of obedience of stretching out his hand. That very act opened the way for his healing. In other words, he, in his obedience, he was trying to do something that looked utterly impossible. His hand was withered. 
Well, that's how it is with forgiveness. Forgive one another. You're kidding. I tried. I can't. It's impossible. Well, it's an act of faith. All obedience to the Father by his children has to be faith. His commands are not burdensome. They just seem impossible to us in our flesh. So we may not feel any goodwill towards the person. In a sense, our love for that person has completely withered. So we feel helpless. And yet God commands, forgive. And so in spite of all feelings to the opposite, we act obediently in faith. And just like the man with a withered hand, we receive the ability to do what he has commanded. And I have proven that truth so many times in my life that I've lost count. And I'll be doing a bit more before I go home to glory, I'm sure. And others will do the same towards me if they forgive as I've forgiven. Sorry, as God has forgiven. Corrie ten Boom, and I'll just share this story to finish off. Corrie ten Boom, she was a Dutch woman who, with her family, protected Jews during the, the war. After the war, she was in a church in Munich. In 1947, she saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. The moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, uh, sorry, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next I saw a blue uniform and a visard cap with its skull and crossbones. He was a Nazi guard. She remembered. The concentration, all the horror of that came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrook, concentration camp. Here he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. And again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there and hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever, do, ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, but I, I can do that much. 
You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. And for a long moment, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Our dear Father, you see it all. You see what man does to each other. Not just out there, Father, but even in the life of your own people, your bride. Dear Father, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts this day, here, right now, that your Spirit would deal with so that we might have tender hearts to those with whom we have maybe fallen out with many, many years ago or yesterday or today, then may that love and your empowering command to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. Open our hearts. Free us, Father, and show us the way to restore, if possible, to be ready and willing to go to our brother or sister without condition, Father, and to reaffirm them as our brother and sister in Christ. Oh dear, let's search our hearts. Search our hearts now, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.